Welcome everybody to the Christ Community uh, Church Weekly Podcast. Uh, my name is Daniel Hickenbotham. I am the worship pastor here and I'm joined today by Pastor Patrick and Pastor Ryan. Um, say hello guys. Hello. Hey church family. Good to right see you. On. Pastor Jeff will not be joining us this morning uh, because good news. He is with his lovely wife at her last chemotherapy treatment. Uh, so we're rejoicing in that, uh, but uh, she should be finished up after all of this and we're thrilled. Uh, but Pastor Jeff won't be able to be with us today. So you're stuck with the three of us. Um, and we've decided to call this the Dwell Podcast. As we were uh, sorting through ideas, we realized that part behind what we're doing here uh, is found in Colossians 3.16, where Paul encourages us to let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. And so I don't know about you, but it's really easy for me to kind of lose track of the passage that was preached on Sunday by Tuesday morning. And it's not just when other people preach. I'll look through uh, my old sermons transcripts and and kind of cringe realizing i don't even remember preaching this passage and so this weekly discussion gives us an opportunity to both reinforce and explore more deeply the passage or the topic from sunday morning uh, because that's our goal we have the goal to allow the word of christ to dwell richly within us within our own hearts within our relationships and within our church community Uh, We wanted to kind of set up residence and live there. So as I said last week, we're still developing the the how of what we're doing. So today you see I am in a different location. We're trying a different, a little bit of a different format here. Um, But uh, we also want to hear your feedback. We, uh, it it helps us shape uh, the best way to serve and so we're also going to probably be stealing the audio from this discussion and posting it on our Spotify page page so that you can listen to it while you're working or exercising and you don't have to look at our ugly mugs. So, uh, but Amen. please be patient. <laughs> um, now, before we dive into the topic from Sunday morning, uh, I want to ask you guys a question. Uh, what books are you currently reading and should I read them? Uh, Patrick, you want to jump in on that one? <clears throat> yeah, I started rereading uh, Richard Foster's Celebrate the Discipline. I, we, we have it in the in the works to add a second part to our first principles classes. It's first principles of Christian living where we look at the, the, the function of Christian life and how do we put these disciplines, whether it's reading scripture. So rereading Foster has been really good. He has a different perspective than um, probably what I would hold to. But nonetheless, it's good to reflect on things like meditation, um, uh, solitude. I, I read that solitude section since we're in a, in a time of solitude, uh, for solitude. So it's been good. I would say, yeah, it's good reading and reflecting on uh, what we should do as, as Christian disciples and, and living out our faith. So it's good read. Right on. Ryan, what about you? Yeah, just a couple of days ago, finished uh, Hearers and Doers by Kevin Van Hooser. I think the subtitle is, you know, a guide to making disciples through uh, doctrine and scripture or scripture and doctrine. Uh, it's excellent. Uh, brings us back to sola scriptura 
uh, what uh, have disciples historically done to grow in their faith. And so um, brings in uh, the greater Catholic Church, uh, lowercase c, and talks about the confessions and the creeds and how they've uh, encouraged and enabled Christians throughout the histories. And then um, I'm about 30% of the way through Spiritual Depression by Martin Lloyd-Jones and uh, uh, actually one of our members, yeah, one of our members, uh, Joseph Johnson uh, and Laura Johnson, his wife, turned me on to it. Uh, yeah, there you go. Oh, is that what you're reading? But uh, he uh, does a great job of just talking about it. It's not something I've often struggled with, uh, to be honest, but I wanted to know how better to encourage and equip those who might be in a spiritual depression. And so, yeah, he, uh, he points you to truth constantly. And so I'd highly recommend it so far. Right on. Well, I am, uh, currently reading lectures to my students, uh, by Charles Spurgeon. It is a, it's a slog in a little ways, but it's, it's really wonderful. Um, I recommend if you are interested in full-time ministry, this is a great book to read. I'm also, reading a book that one of my friends has written and is trying to get published. I'm doing it to help him edit uh, some of it. And so it's a sci-fi thriller. Uh, and it's actually, it's really good. I, uh, I've really been enjoying it. Um, it's a little unpolished because, you know, it has to go through the editor and all that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of re-stimulated my own love for writing. And so I'm excited about that. Well, uh, Sunday, we read a passage from 1 Peter. I'm going to read it here. It's uh, from chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us the new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. So Jeff pointed out this weekend that Peter's encouragement to these brothers and sisters in uh, this epistle, uh, they're, they're suffering persecution. And it, his encouragement is to look and lay hold of the living hope of Jesus, to turn our eyes to him and to grasp onto him. So that seems to imply that they and we are susceptible to averting our eyes from and relinquishing the, uh, that living hope. So humans cannot live without hope. So we will we'll replace the true hope of the gospel of God with false hopes promised by false gospels and false gospels are any alternative message promising a a different salvation and life from the one we read about in scripture now we usually do this so quickly unconsciously even that before we know it our our feelings our thoughts our actions are bound to this false hope that cannot ultimately deliver on its promise or satisfy us permanently. So we're here to discuss this morning um, uh, how we are prone to replace our living hope, Jesus, with the empty promises of sin and self-worship and how we come to follow false gospels 
even when we may believe in the real one. So that's our big intro. And we're going to kick this off by, by first defining terms. What is the gospel? Uh, Ryan, do you want to start off with that? Sure. Um, I think there's a couple of different scriptures you could go to, but I just uh, wrote something out in a, in a summary form. So the gospel is the good news that God, through Jesus Christ, is reconciling sinners uh, to himself uh, so that all who repent uh, of their sins and place their faith in Christ alone are reconciled and forgiven by God. Uh, the punishment that we deserved as sinners before a holy God has fallen on Christ, uh, our substitute, who was crucified. He died. He was buried. Uh, he was raised. He ascended. And he is returning. And so we respond rightly uh, to this good news when we repent of our sins, which simply means we turn away from them. We we flee from them in a sense. We uh, stop pursuing a sinful lifestyle and we trust alone in Jesus. And so this good news uh, means that we uh, can now be a part of the kingdom of God that Jesus proclaimed as uh, as now being here. And we are called to fulfill uh, the great commission of this kingdom for as long as the Lord tarries. Right on. Patrick, what about you? I usually, so in scripture, the first place I turn to for a concise summary of the gospel is is 1 Timothy uh, 2, 5 through 6. And I think Paul puts out the main pillars and quite well. And so this is what he says in 5 and 6. He says, for there is one God, one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. And so, so in this little uh, these two verses, Paul mentions, I guess, the main pillars, the relationship between God, mankind, and Christ. And we infer that through that, there's a dysfunction between God and mankind, and Christ is the only mediator, the only one that can restore or undo um, the relational dysfunction that takes place. And it says right there, very simply, paying a ransom. Uh, so the relational restoration that he provides is the fact that he died in order to reconcile us by paying the penalty for our sins. So in addition to everything Ryan has said, um, I, I, I think that, that Paul and other places in Scripture, I know we can go to Hebrews, and I, uh, Ryan, you mentioned uh, 1 Corinthians 15 are two places where we can go. And I would say that this to me is uh, essentially the gospel because any part of this that is altered in some way, shape, or form undoes uh, the entire message. Right on. I always always uh, impressed when I went off to Bible college. I had such a kind of a truncated view when it came to the gospel. It was you're a sinner and you need salvation, and that is the core. Mm. That's the core of it. Um, but I was really moved when uh, I started to to see that that the gospel of God is that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That it starts with God. It starts with his kingship and his lordship and his his uh, authority and his creativity. It starts with this really wonderful plan um, and the, the need for that uh, salvation on the cross comes because we fell in the garden. Um, so there's the, the creation, the fall, the redemption in Christ, all the things that you have you've d- discussed. Um, but that re-announcement of Christ's kingship over creation, 
that that he he comes and he says repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand that's that's good news that that mm-hmm. there's this new king and and that repentance is this declaring a new allegiance from yeah. the the systems of the world um and and to the lord and that another part of the of the gospel is not just that we we get to be saved and go to heaven it's that we get to be saved and inherit a new creation. We get to be saved in that the initial plan of God, that wonderful plan of God from the beginning is ultimately accomplished. And we get to live in this new creation on the earth with God as our light and, and, and in perfect fellowship with one another. Uh, so the, the boundaries of the gospel are pretty broad. They span the whole story. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we do kind of want to hammer on what distinguishes a false gospel from merely a different position or perspective that still falls within the true gospel. So essentially, where is the line that divides the true gospel from heresy? Um, you know, and and. What's worth saying that is not Christianity, that is not the gospel? Because I've been in a church where a guy used the term that's not the gospel abusively. He would claim he would claim, you know, that his position on something that was secondary or tertiary was actually primary and that if you weren't on board with it, you were outside the boundaries of of uh, Christianity. So, what distinguishes a false gospel from from merely a different perspective on the true gospel? Patrick, why don't you jump in on that? I, I think the terminology that we use um, is anything dealing with anything that's a salvific issue, and so determining what is primary, secondary, tertiary um, in regards to the gospel is essential. Because, like what you were saying, Daniel, someone could just say out a claim that's not the gospel and use it. As a as a uh, as a tool to bludgeon someone into a belief, and so what we'd like to think through is what is salvific, and so we look at the main tenets, things that Ryan said, that we look at what Paul said, anything dealing with the character identity of God, Christ, and mankind are are essential. So if any one of those doctrines are altered in such a degree that they are different um, from what Scripture teaches, then it would be a false gospel. I would say, for example. Anything that changes the way we, in which we look at Jesus or perceive who Jesus is, whether he, he was just spirit, whether he was just a man, whether he was divine and not man, any one of those differences um, would change and be salvific, we would say. And, I, and in additive as well. So Jesus mm-hmm. plus any doctrine in some way um, denigrates Jesus. So that's where I would start. The, the line of the sand are the, the main pillars of the gospel, God, mankind, Christ, um, and any alterations to those. But I'm, I'm, I'm sure we could probably flesh that out a little bit more, Ryan. I don't know what you would go on from no, there. No, I, I agree 100%. I think you're exactly right. I mean, you know, if we were to define, uh, you know, heresy as the denial of, of truth that is uh, central or essential to the gospel, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what you were saying. And so I, I, I didn't say— or I, um, I don't know if I can say specific things, but I think different questions is what you were getting at that can probably help us. Um, you know, does it rob 
Christ of his glory? Does it take away his deity? Does it take away his humanity? Um, does it deny justification by faith alone? Does mm-hmm. it subvert, exactly what you're saying, does it subvert the relationship between uh, God and man? Does it elevate man more than he should be? Right. Um, and, and really, uh, you know, if believed, will one be damned rather than saved? Um, you know, that, that gives you a good idea uh, of the gospel in some sense or what you're trying to add or take away from it. That's pretty powerful language there, Ryan. Sorry. Uh, no, I, no I, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> no, I agree. This is it's interesting that our that our language is not more desperate in regard to the gospel. Um when when some of Paul's language and, and the and the epistles and it's actually incredibly desperate. It's it is, it yeah. is in terms of damnation and, and uh so Looking around, uh, we want to talk about uh, the American context, but but specifically our context here in Idaho Falls. Um, what do you see as being the most prevalent false gospels? I, I would say initially, when we look at America and what what gospel is America uh, advertising to the world, and I think the prosperity gospel has always been. For in recent history, uh, the greatest false gospel presented, uh, and I think the reason why we can label it a false gospel, label it a heresy, and, and Dan and we talked about this in pastors' meeting earlier this week, is that the prosperity gospel elevates man almost to the place of a deity, and and uh, kind of cuts God off at the knees and makes him more human, and it's bringing us to this co-equal position in which man has this ability this agency to bring about some sort of prosperity, some sort of salvation, some sort of blessing in their life that God has not given mankind to do. Mm-hmm. And, in, and in turn, in, doing, in order for that to be presented and received by people, it requires that man, uh, man's sinfulness, man's fallen state, be pushed to the side or, or objectified in such a way that it was a blip on the radar. And so yeah. I would say that's a prevalent false gospel, which elevates man, denigrates God and uh, removes the ideas of repentance, of sin, of needing a Savior, because we are inherently good. They may not say that overtly, but they say it um, uh, probably under the surface. You can infer it. What say you, Ryan? Uh, False Gospels that are prevalent? Yeah. uh, said uh, And hitting on prosperity you know, in a word of faith it's interesting in that same vein american level in that same same vein uh the belief that that faith is a uh like a self-generated spiritual force right so you're you're called to have faith um but then to the degree that your faith exists either greater or lesser uh that in turn uh affects god it, hmm. is the teaching and so of course you can see where this can go if you are sick if you you know, do you have cancer? If you are suffering, uh, you're still called to have faith. And if you don't have enough faith, that could be the reason why you're not being healed, you know? And so it's just this warped thinking, uh, a misunderstanding of, of the gospel and really a misunderstanding um, of the atonement because they see it as uh, not only the Jesus dying for our sins, but Jesus uh, dying to uh, remove, in some essence, uh, sickness and, and even poverty, because that's where the prosperity of the material possessions mm-hmm. come in, um, but denies uh, 
or his atoning sacrifice is supposed to cover sickness as well in this life. And so, um, you know, we watched a video, uh, I think differing times. One thing I appreciated from it was basically, um, the true gospel of Jesus Christ promises infinitely more than the prosperity gospel, right? Yeah, they're right. wanting everything to be realized right now, but it's failing to have an eternal mindset and, and to see that what is to come is so much more greater than we can ever think or imagine. And so it's, uh, yeah, it, it's sad that in, in essence, uh, it encourages people to pursue you know, the best life now for lack of a greater phrase, uh, yeah. rather than looking ahead to an even greater life. Yeah. yeah. One of the uh, one of the big ones that I run into. So we'll talk more about the prosperity gospel and kind of how it's linked with the American dream. Um but one of the big ones that I run into is um sort of the gospel of spirituality. Uh the uh the circles that I've run in um this I, this it's a very new age idea. That by our meditation, by our self-emptying, by our action and our effort, we can uh, connect ourselves to to what is is called source. Um, that that we can do all you know. People people use different language. They'll use uh, love. They'll use Christ consciousness. They'll use all kinds of different things, different phrases. But it's this reconnection to this ephemeral esoteric personless force uh that that usually is referred to as source but it is a a self-salvation in that it has everything to do with our own mindfulness it has everything to do with our own uh ridding ourselves of desire and selfishness and um so it's not about being transformed by the spirit of god it's being uh dug out and, and emptied in order to reconnect to this life force. Um, and it creeps into the church more than, than you would expect, especially coming from Southern California. Um, this, this hyper spirituality, this hyper, emo- there's a hyper emotionalism that it is all about my experience. Now I'm all about the reality that we experience God that the language of the New Testament makes it clear that this isn't just a, an abstract set of intellectual ideas that we uh, affirm and then we're Christians. This is an experiential faith. Um, but there's, a, there's this creeping where it doesn't matter what the intellectual affirmation is. It doesn't matter what the doctrinal affirmation is. It doesn't matter what, what the theological reality is. It's the, what are you experiencing? What, what, what is your, your spiritual experience? That's what matters. That's the intimacy with God that matters. Um, and that comes straight out of the new age. And some people would say, Oh, well, we're just redeeming it from the new age. And I don't know if you can baptize that in as easily mm-hmm. um, as most people do. Yeah, it's uh, almost yeah. like saying instead of uh, I think, therefore I am, it's I feel, therefore it is. And yeah. so truth is based upon the experience and the feeling, even the pursuit of a feeling, whether you have it or not. It's this hope in I can feel this way, therefore it must be true and I must walk this way. Uh, so nothing's really tied to um anything substantial, not tied to anything eternal or unchanging. I, I would, I would uh, 
knowing what I believe and living a Christian life and being tied to the authority of Scripture and the unchanging Word of the Lord, to live in that state of that hyper-spirituality, Daniel, could, could you kind of maybe give us a glimpse of what characteristics are prevalent in someone who pursues that line of thinking or that false gospel? Are they truly satisfied? Is there a happiness or is there a perpetual discontentment, you think? Well, this is the, uh, this is the thing. Uh, it's rooted pretty significantly in, in pragmatism of whatever mm. works in the temporal sense is good. So you get people who have a, uh, a heightened sense of, of their spiritual su- superiority in a way. Like I've transcended the, the mm. mundane things of God. Um, and so they do kind of walk around in a self-satisfied cloud for a time. But uh, if you actually interview people who've come out of uh, the new age, you discover that there are, there's a ton of domestic violence there's a ton of addiction and and drug abuse and but it's all under the guise of hey i i have this spiritual connection and so so anything else that's happening around me is really like it, i i'm i'm okay with it because it just you know i've got this this spiritual thing going on here uh, right. one of the examples is uh we went to a wedding of a of a really sweet couple and the guy ended up walking out on the marriage and it was because he was starting to take psychedelics and he told his wife i'm the happiest i've ever been i've i've got this spiritual connection to the universe and that requires me to abandon my wife and you know like and and you look at that and you say the fruit of that is destructive Mm-hmm. But the in for the person, it's this. Oh, I'm super happy, and everything's great. But that that sounds to me like that's the pinnacle or the height of self worship, is at the expense of any and everyone else, um, is 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 capable to destroy them for my own joy, torture myself. Well, I I also think as far as these false gospels, I mean, the one that we do have around us, and and speaking of the doctrine is uh, the LDS. It's it's the LDS faith and the doctrine that is presented. That is most prevalent around us. And um, I, I think we do need to acknowledge that at its core, it is a false gospel. Mm-hmm. It may use the same terminology that we do. It may use the same language, um, but it nonetheless is representing something completely different. Like I often tell uh, some people or my friends back home when they ask about it, how do you relate and converse with the LDS church or people of that faith background? I say it's like playing on the same field, but it's playing a different sport. I mean, ultimately, we're sharing the same ground, the terminology, but it's a completely different sport in which you're playing because Christ is different. So if we go back to that first question of how do we draw the line, uh, our, our understanding of who Christ is different, who God is, is different, the atonement, how are we saved, and yeah. what role do we play? All of those are different, even though it's the same names. Uh, yeah. The definitions could not be more distinct. Can one of you give us a, a, dist, a um, what's the word? An example. That's the word. Um, an example of one of those, those places where the, the nomenclature is the same, but the fundamental idea is different. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, 
Oh, go ahead. Either one. No, Ryan, you go. I was just. Okay. I was just saying. Uh, one of the stark differences is, uh, from my readings, is concerning the atonement. So we understand the atonement to be uh, the forgiveness of sins and reconciling us back to God, and they profess in part some of that. But we understand the predominance of the atonement is to take place on the cross. That's that's where his death happened, and then through his resurrection, uh, we see the defeat of you know sin and death and await its consummation. But from their understanding of the atonement, and, um, and I had to write a paper on this last year, but from their understanding, the atonement actually starts in the Garden of Gethsemane whenever he's you know sweating those drops of blood, and that's mm. the blood being shed, and it's the agony uh, of crying out over sin. And so it's just a completely different, and that one small example, we could also go to creation and and uh, Jesus actually being a created being by the Father rather than God himself, the second person of, of the Godhead. But in that example of the atonement, it's using the same language, even some similarities that overlap. But um, but like the Bereans, we need to go to the scriptures and, and be able to dissect for ourselves what are these differences and what does God's word actually say and uh, what is actually taking place here in these conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the definition of words uh, uh, d- depends everything. And so defining these words and these terms, that's why doctrine is so important. That's why theology and the study of it. Ryan, going to that book that you're reading, I'm sure the reason why it was such a blessing to read it was because yeah. it, it affirms the very thing that Paul presents. Th- yeah. This matters. For sure. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Well, um, one of the best ways to identify false gospels is really to spend time looking at uh what's the true gospel what's the what's the you know it's the immortal example of uh the secret service uh the the people who are looking out for uh counterfeit bills spend most of their time looking at real bills (laughs) in order to be able to identify uh the counterfeit because there's just some subtle differences with a lot of different things, um, and in the di- the the discussion about uh, our LDS neighbors, um, for us, one of our deeply held convictions is salvation is by grace through faith apart from works. Mm-hmm. That is a that is basically what the Protestant Reformation hinged upon, and in. LDS doctrine, it is salvation is by grace through faith after all you can do. That is, uh, that is standard doctrine in the Mormon church. And so there is the, uh, that idea is, it's appealing because it means, yeah, we're responsible. We, we should pursue holiness. We should, you know, use our will to, to, to do the very best that we can. There's something noble about the thought, but what ends up happening is it becomes condemning because if I go to a movie, I could have spent that time evangelizing, evangelizing or reading, you know, reading scripture or devoting in some way. Um, and now all of a sudden my assurance of, of salvation is in peril. It's in question because that wasn't all I could do. Um, and so it starts out with this appealing, uh, noble kind of enticement. Um, and it ends up turning on you eventually. So what makes these false gospel messages? So, uh, uh, 
the prosperity gospel, um, Latter-day Saints, uh, oneness, Pentecostalism, some of these formal false gospels, what makes them so appealing to us? Uh, I was thinking about this a lot, and I, I go back and forth between a few things, but what I what I boiled it down to in my mind is each one of them in some way, because they do elevate the human being. They elevate the individual. And so there's a promotion of self-righteousness shrouded in spiritual positivity. I think that's what makes it so seductive is that I can focus on myself and feel good about it. I'm, and I don't have to feel bad about it. I don't have to be undermined. And I'm, in, I'm generally a pretty good person. So for the word of faith or a prosperity gospel to repent— and Daniel, you and I were talking about this earlier, and you could probably shed a little bit more light on it, but but because we can bring into existence things through our spoken word, uh, whether it be faith, whether it be acti- action or activity, to confess our sin, our wickedness, our our lusts, is, is to bringing these things into uh, a, a present reality in our world. And so I, I want to leave that behind. So I'm going to focus on just what's good about myself, what I can bring about that will be positive, and it's shrouded in the spirituality that it's that, that that's what God wants you to do, but it doesn't take an honest look at who we are. And so I think that's an initial thing that I boil down for a lot of these things, the elevation and worship of self, and it's approved yeah. through spirituality. I don't know what you guys yeah. think about that. Yeah, I, well, I agree. I, I think the storyline of Scripture, even from creation on in the fall, shows us that humanity, in essence, wants to be in charge of ourselves. Uh, Each person wants to uh, do what we can. And we even realize this more in our Western context of of individuality. And so the idea that salvation is a gift to you, you can do nothing to earn it, uh, is completely the work of God, uh, just goes against us because we want to earn what we have. We want to do something to contribute uh, in some essence. And so I think that in part <clears throat> uh, can maybe speak to a little bit of the LDS uh, uh, difference. Whenever I think of the prosperity and the word of faith movement, it seems to be a focus uh, on the now and not on eternity. Uh, you know, material mm. possessions are, are nice to have and in some yeah. measure are, are a blessing. Um, but the repeated refrain throughout the scriptures is to deny ourselves and to follow Christ, to not seek fulfillment uh, in this life, but to look to the one, uh, the one to come. And so, um, right. it, it seems like, it, yeah, they really are living as if this is the only life, rather than having that eternal mindset we talk about so much. Yeah, and to tie it into uh, the passage, you know, Peter's writing this letter to people who are under intense persecution. And part of the reason they're under intense persecution is because they've left their households or their working guilds gods. They've, they've separated themselves from uh, not just the religion, but the society in a way. And so there's a temptation for, you know, for us in discomfort to, to kind of be willing to, um, compromise in order to ease that discomfort and the whole book of hebrews is written to these suffering jews who are looking to go back to a system that said (laughs) if you obey you will be be blessed and with with you know material blessing um and so i think a lot of it is is rooted sort of in that temporal pragmatism of this works 
it feels like this works better than what you're telling us because yeah. I'm welcomed back into my family or back into my guild or I'm not looked at like a weirdo or, you know, I'm promised, yeah. you know, health, wealth, and prosperity. So I think a lot of it is rooted in, uh, in, uh, pragmatism of I can do, I can make this thing happen. And I think that is some of the appeal of the, the self-help, uh, the self-help uh, uh, craze in the country right now because it is a you can do this you can make these things happen um, not that all of it is bad I'm not I'm not trying to say that by any stretch of the imagination but I think it plays to that oh I can control my fate I'm the master mm-hmm. of my shit I can yeah. be unlike to God yeah yeah so well, like the, unto it, God it, it goes to um, Adam and Eve in the garden. Don't you know you can be like God? Yeah. It's this idea of, of, of elevating oneself to a higher level than which we are at. I think everyone on this earth says, I wish I could be better at one thing, if not a bunch of things. And so any message that promotes you can be better, and this is how you do it and lays out the practical steps, I think it's going to garner a lot of support from people. Yeah. Whereas the Lord's message to that is, I will do it for you. I want you to receive the life that I have. I want you to receive the image and the way once you create. I want you to return, not not to achieve yeah. something new, return to the way you were supposed to be. And I and, get um, the glory for it, not you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you can enjoy my glory. How about that? There you go. Yeah. And, and I just want to reemphasize, and I, I know you guys would agree, when we're talking about this misunderstanding of uh, you know, works before faith, and whenever we're saying, no, you're saved by grace through faith alone, it doesn't mean that the works still aren't important. We're just saying we're not saved uh, by the works. We're saved for works. You know, God has prepared yeah. for us good deeds, good works to do uh, from eternity and, past. And, and, so, and those works are the means by which we enjoy the salvation that we exactly. have. Apart from yeah. those works, we would have no joy. Yeah. And there's even certain passages that I don't know how they get around. You know, in Galatians 2, we know that, yeah, we know that a person is not justified by works of law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Like There is no justification apart from that. And then from there, the works come. So, sorry, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> no, so, and that's actually one of the telling signs of, of a false, a formal false gospel is they will uh, delegitimize scripture. They'll delegitimize yeah. either a section or the whole thing. They'll say, oh, this was corrupted. Oh, this, you know, this is, I've got a better revelation, that kind of stuff. Um, so, we've talked about fo- some. F- formal heresies formal gospels i don't uh sorry formal false gospels i don't necessarily see our congregation really being tugged this way and that by it um but instead of a like a codified system of thought or belief or religion um what about some practical application can we can we genuinely believe the true gospel of Jesus and yet still fall prey uh, to practicing uh, false gospels or putting our hope in, in some false gospels. So not a formal false gospel, but like a functional false gospel, a functional false hope, Uh, something we may not even realize. 
Um, so how can we tell if we're in that spot? How do you guys examine your own life? How do you guys encourage people when counseling? Um, what are some of the tools we have to identify if we are finding mm-hmm. our hope in something other than Christ? Right. Uh, well, using Jeff's message on Sunday, it wonderfully laid out a key component in the difference between how the world views hope and how a Christian is to understand hope. Where a worldly view of hope is this wishful thinking or wishful um, anticipation, whereas the Christian hope, it's confident expectation. There's a confidence and an assurance that's connected to it. And so I, I begin to spot false gospels in my life or, or false hopes that I'm attached to um, when I determine what's my confidence in in this moment. Is my confidence in Christ and His message and His Word and what He's producing and promoting in me? Or am I more confident in a person, a, a system of beliefs, and, and one of them in particular, and this is, it seems kind of minor, but I do think we, we find ourselves involved in it more often than not. It's the confidence of parenthetical living, and it's a fancy thing to say. We live within parentheses. We can't wait for the weekend to come. So I, I work for the weekend. So Monday through Friday are a wash because all I'm looking forward to is the yeah. hope and the joy and the confidence <laughs> of what the weekend will bring me, as opposed to what the Lord's working in my life right now. And so it could be a weekend. It could be a new job. It could be a new book or a new skill you can read. It can be a vacation that you anticipate. Mm-hmm. Having a mindset of always looking forward to something that is other than um, the eternal hope uh, in heaven and being in the glory with the Father, any other of those things, I think it's a, a parenthetical living, our confidence in something else other than today. So that's the first false gospel that I always go to because I find myself in it all the time within the church is I just anticipate when the work is done, when I meet the certain person, when I have a certain event, and I, I'm failing to enjoy life with my Savior in the moment, in today. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that's backed up by a number of things. And and there's a caveat to that when, wait, isn't aren't we supposed to be parenthetically living and just anticipating heaven? Isn't that what we're called to? And the the awesome thing about when we do that, when we spend our time meditating on life with Christ in the future glory of what that's going to be, I receive joy in the moment now. In fact, when I think more about heaven, the more I'm able to perceive how it's already here. And so that's what Jeff talked about, that the kingdom's already here. Many aspects that Christ has initiated, where there's an overlap of the kingdom, but it's here and I get to see it and perceive it. So on one hand, looking forward is really good. But it needs to look all the way forward, not just a couple weeks or days. So that's the first thing I think of. My confidence is in a better time ahead. Yeah, one of the uh, one of the ways that I analyze is if I if this thing were to be taken from me, what would my response be? Would it be anger? Would it be you know frustration? Would it be despair? Will usually let me know that like I'm putting my hope in something. Um, so, you know, simple example of, I, I, uh, found out that I actually have to pay some more taxes than I thought I was going to have to. And I had this, um, you know, I had big plans for my tax return. (laughs) And so all of a sudden I'm, I'm bitter and resentful. The libertarian anti-tax, you know, guy in me is jumps out. Um, I'm bitter and resentful when in reality, like God's going to provide for me. My hope isn't in a tax return. My hope isn't in, in 
uh, you know, the, the things that I had plans for, for that, but my discontent, my, my frustration and, and, and anger reveals that I have a false hope. I have a, a hope in getting a tax return over, uh, over that. And then the other one relationally that I try to identify is, um, putting expectations on my wife speci- specifically. Um, you know, I, I go in, I go home and I have a picture in my head that I may or may not have communicated to Kristen of how things are going to go. And when they don't go that way, I get spun out. I get frustrated. I get angry. I get, you know, irritable, restless, irritable, discontent. Um, and it's because my hope is that my wife will treat me the way that I think she ought to treat me or my boss will treat me the way that I think they ought to treat me. Um, and that I put bit by bit, I put these little hopes, um, you know, in a, a certain thing. And when that doesn't come to fruition, my discontent reveals that I had my hope in that and it failed me. Hmm. Good. Yeah, I was uh, answering more for, you know, can we believe the true gospel of Jesus and and fall prey to practicing a false gospel? It reminds me of Paul whenever he writes to the Galatians, you know, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? So I would say yes, but it seems like not for long. Um, Yes, you can fall prey uh, while believing the true gospel, but not for long because eventually practice. and my line of thinking becomes believing in a way. I think it's why we're seeing, you know, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, because while as Christians, sin no longer reigns in our hearts, it does remain. And so we have this constant battle in some essence of, of reminding ourselves of the true gospel and remembering that uh, the gospel not only saves us, it gives us life day after day. We have to remind ourselves constantly, uh, otherwise we pr- are prone to forget. And so um, that's just kind of my answer to that question. Yeah, I think it's important to keep this in mind when we are entering into an election season. Um, the vitriol, the the visceral response that that comes from uh, political engagement, I think s- reveals that some of us who genuinely believe the true gospel every four years end up putting our hope we, we get this false gospel of uh, the person that I want elected or this particular platform. or um, And so we, we get murderous with our words, with our heart's attitude. Um, you know, every four years, that, that uh, confident assurance in the kingdom, kingship and kingdom of Christ will shift <laughs> to the confident assurance of um, my electoral candidate and his or her, you know, policy platform. Um, I think that's something to be aware of as we as we enter into what's going to be a very charged political season. Is that our hope is not in the American government. It's not in any government except for Christ. Mm. I would agree. Amen. Well, guys, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Uh, Christ Community Church, we love you. We miss you a lot. Uh, We're going to be continuing to update you on our plan for restoring uh, times of gathering. We really want to encourage, we all want to encourage you to be uh, patient, 
trust the Lord. Uh, we're all learning how to do this um, as we go. And uh, we would rather we'd rather move slow than have to all of a sudden yank back on the rings. And, and, and so um, be patient with us. We love you. We're looking out. Uh, we're looking forward to getting to look you in the eye and give you a hug and, and uh, gather to worship again. Uh, let me pray for us. God, we praise you and we thank you for your church. We thank you for technology. We thank you um, for the truth of your word and its unchanging nature. We ask that you would continue to lead us into all truth as we, as we endeavor to let your word dwell richly in us. We ask that you bless all those who are listening to this uh, and that you would glorify yourself in, in their lives. We love you and we praise you in your name. Amen. All right. We'll we'll see you guys later. See y'all.